When I get nervous, I keep talking. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. I try to lean in a little bit when the questions do come up. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. How does the baby get out of your stomach? A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Any follow-ups? No? All right, we're done for now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about the birds and the bees. We had to get here eventually, didn't we, Amy? <laughs> the talk, it's time. We put it off for 87 episodes, see? You guys, we're 87 <laughs> episodes old, and it's time we had the talk. We're old enough now. We're mature. We think at 87, you can handle it. Oh Everyone have a seat. God, I mean, I'm I it's it's just us and I'm still uncomfortable. So before we start, we're going to have a disclosure for this episode. Is disclosure the word I'm looking for? Um I I know what you mean. Disclaimer. Disclaimer, right, right. That this is probably not we're going to be discussing the birds and the bees and you probably don't want your children learning about the birds and the bees from our podcast. No. So no. This may be one you don't want to listen to with your children. We love it when everybody listens to the podcast with their kids, but this one, maybe not so much. We don't want to spoil anybody's innocence, which is, which is, I think this is like, why is this, why is this a thing? You know, I always like to start with that. Amy, if the episode goes awesome, people can just not have to have the talk anymore. They can just put the podcast on and run away and leave their kids listening to the podcast. Well, we're not going to say, we're not going to explain it. We're going to talk, we're going to say how <laughs> we're to talk explain about, it. talking about it. All right. We're going to, maybe we can in. offer that service yeah. later date. Here's the talk. Just put it on and then run away. But this is so hard, I think, because we are worrying, we worry about having the talk too soon, which I think we're not, we think we are. And, and the flip side of that is that so we're, we're spoiling their innocence, which we've worked so hard to protect. And we also are engaging with our children no longer being innocent, which is very hard for us to, also very hard for us to accept, if you see what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, no, it's a challenging thing. I have kids who are 10, 8, and 6, so I'm right in like the spot for this. Like the fifth graders are talking about sex constantly, and my First grader is pretty naive about everything. So it's like I'm 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 really straddling the line. You're right in it. Like you 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 do need to talk to your kids about this stuff lest they talk to fifth grade me about this stuff. I I don't know why. I I was an early reader. I honestly think maybe that's what it was. So like I had the whole Judy Bloom canon, you know, memorized by my first communion, right? So my so my fifth grade, I was just world weary or thought I was. And I enjoyed taking my friends to like this, there was this church that was around the corner from us that had a fire escape that went up the side of the church, like to a second oh God, floor. You were basically in the movie Annie, but go ahead. Oh yeah. We would, well, it was just, it was a nice spot for a, an, an uninterrupted conversation. So I'd go oh, with one friend or another up the side of this, this fire escape and we'd dangle our knees off the side. And then I would tell them uh, the facts of life. Uh, that is which, very upsetting. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I was, I was definitely like markedly incorrect. Yes. About <laughs> many of the particulars. Um, yeah. many, but uh, that didn't stop me from just making sure that everybody knew what I had to tell them. And I think like, that's what we have to remember for the fifth graders. That's their alternative is their friends. Well, and I'm going to say right up front that, the idea of the talk is the one of the biggest misconceptions about this whole thing. Like yes. 
you're not going to have a talk and sort this all out in one conversation. And then like, phew, we never have to talk about this again. Yes. And I will give you an example of that, which is that my brother-in-law sat his kids down. Something came up and he was like, no, no, now it's time to have the talk. And he went through all the particulars using the correct words, ran it all through. And then like maybe a month later, his seven-year-old came back and was like, wait, so you and mom did that twice because they have two kids? <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 we we did it a bunch of times because it feels good, but we just had two kids as a result. And then his son was like, I just don't understand how rubbing your butts together could feel good. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay, it looks like we got to do that talk again. Like whatever went through, you have to realize that like when you're talking to this stuff about this when you're talking about this stuff to your kids, their sensory overload is like so complete that they may not, they may not be able to process it. We recently did our live show and we called some moms up on stage. And when we practice, we practice with the lights and the lights are extremely bright. And when we called the moms up on stage, all of them were like, oh my God, it's so bright. Like they couldn't even play the game because they were so sensory right. overloaded by being in the bright lights in front of a crowd. Yeah. And so that's the sensation that your kids are having when you're talking to them about sex. I think you're right. I, the the Center for Young Women's Health at Boston Children's Hospital said the most important part of this is, yes, that this isn't one conversation. This is an ongoing conversation and that you have to make yourself an askable parent. So when you have a conversation about some aspect of this, that's the most important thing you get across. I am an askable parent parent. This is okay to talk about so that you'll have the next conversation and the next one and the next one. I think that's true. I think, hmm, is this a controversial or perhaps even incorrect statement? I'm just going to throw this out here anyway. I worry more as we talk about things that like we're over talkable in some ways. You know what I mean? Like I think sex and everything that goes along with it is a bit of a taboo subject for kids. I think you should be askable and I think you should be available, but the they're still going to talk about it some with their friends. They're some going to still going to get wrong information. Like don't get to the point where you're like, "I'm everything, mom." Like you're not going to be there everything when it comes to this conversation nor should you be. Does that make sense? Yes, but it also it, it isn't you have to have it. Like I, you I have to have it, but I see more among people I know the overcorrection from like maybe my parents never talked to me about this stuff. I'm not saying my own parents, but like to I'm going to be this complete open book. Like you're not going to fill in every gap in this thing for your kids, but you want to be very open and very, I love the term askable. I think that's right on. Right. The askable parent. There was, uh, I, I wanted to prove to myself that this needed to, that we do need to do this, right? That this is a thing that really does need to occur, that our kids aren't just figuring it out. And of course I have, we've just explained why they're going to get uh, inaccurate information elsewhere. But the studies have shown, I got a study for you, of course you do. Dr. Colleen DiOrio published a study in the Journal of Adolescent Health, and she talked to teenagers and she talked to parents about who's talking about what and when. Not necessarily teenagers, she said, she said adolescents, which I guess could be a little bit younger. But adolescents, the more they talked about this stuff, specifically with their mothers, the less likely they were to have initiated in sexual intercourse yet. So- huh. 
And when parents, she also found that when parents were the main source of information, their behaviors were not only going to be a little bit delayed, but were also going to be significantly less risky than if they hadn't had parental discussions or if they had very minor parental discussions. So it's, I know it's hard for all of us to wrap our heads around and I had to like sort of like read this twice, but if you, if you want your kids to delay being sexually active until a time when it's more appropriate for them and to be safe about it once they start, then you have to talk to them about it. It is sort of, you think like, you know, no, 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 I want to protect them from it and make sure that they know it's not happening. But it would seem that that's not the way to go about it. Yeah, I think that makes a tremendous amount of sense. And I also think it talking about it gives you the opportunity to give voice to your values around this topic, whatever those values happen to be. Like, I think, you know, we talk a lot about like children do what they see. They replicate kind of the values of your household that are given to them by osmosis, like the way you prioritize stuff, the way you treat each other, all of that good stuff. With sexual activity, you're not really modeling that interaction as much because you're in a very different phase of your life. You know, I mean, you may be if you're a dating parent, but for people who are married, like you're married and like that whole part of your life of like engaging with sex and other people, it it seems like a distant memory. So you kind of have to talk about your values around this and you have to talk about your expectations around it and you have to have these conversations. I think broadening it, you, you're right. And the Center for Women's Health made the same point. They said that this is a this is a much larger topic than sort of, you know, what part goes where. You talk about right. gender, sexual orientation, relationships, how to be in one, how to treat somebody well, that it's a much larger conversation. And it seems to me that sort of including that stuff, broadening the parameters of what a discussion about sex and relationships can be about also makes it easier. Like, oh, I can talk to you all day about uh, how to be in a relationship and, and the sexual orientation and stuff like that. I'm much more comfortable with that than mechanical discussions. And so, so fine. So include those things that those are also good things to be askable about. And they're also things that our kids need to learn to navigate. I will also say that I find raising a girl and two boys, that a lot of conversations around non-sexual things are part of kind of the sex talk. Like we talk a lot about respecting people's space, consent, whether or not someone is participating with the thing that you want to be doing. Like those kind of conversations and the way that you play with respect kind of fuels this whole overarching picture around relationships, consent, how you engage with people. And that's why like the whole idea of like the sex talk and you're going to do it for 20 minutes and you're done. Like how you treat people in relations to each other, it's all part of the talk and that has to be ongoing all the time in your house. So, and so it seems to me if this is something that's uncomfortable for you, which I think um, applies to 100% of people listening or talking right now, then these are, these are good, these are good icebreakers. These are good ways to approach it besides what questions do you have about, you know, condoms. You can, you can talk about, you can ease into it by talking in a more general way about, about loving relationships and what they should and shouldn't entail. 
I saw some, but it doesn't get you off the hook for the mechanics. No, either. no, it doesn't. And 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 I found something really interesting when I was when I was researching this episode. I was using long story. I was using my uh, teenager's computer, because one of my teenager's computers, because mine was in a room where my husband was still sleeping. And as I was trying to research this episode, the the topics I was trying to research kept getting blocked by the parental protections that I had that I had put in place, the parental control Funny. settings, internet gatekeepers. So there's an article on Mash, Mashable. I'll put the link up on whatfreshhelpodcast.com. It's it's an issue. I mean, yes, I'm glad that there are parental controls and internet settings you can put in place. I, I think it was safe settings on Google that was happening here. But I was trying to look up educational things and the and it was blocking all of them. So the problem is, first of all, our kids, you know, everything's porn, everything's porn. But also when we try to protect them from that, our kids also can't look up the stuff that's like actually really helpful. And there's some amazing stuff on the internet. We can talk about that later. What's, you know, what are the useful uh, resources? But they're hard for our kids to find because we're throwing out the baby with the bathwater. So that's another reason we have to have this conversation with them because it's it's hard. It's hard for them to to find the, the information that's useful. I mean, I think the number one reason we have to have this conversation with them is because of the other option. The other option is Amy Wilson on the fire escape being like, <laughs> let me tell you a couple, three things. And that was then. That was then. Now, I mean, I, I don't I don't have to lay out for you what they what they can get on their phone within 60 seconds, because that stuff yeah. somehow gets around the parental uh, settings. It's the dot org stuff that doesn't. And And there's just, you know, my son was looking. I have a Lululemon shopping bag in our front hall. To, you know, with some stuff I got to take to school. And it says like right on the Lululemon shopping bag and like in a curly font, it's like, have sex and eat tacos. And he's like, oh. mom, look at this. Ba-. I'm like, why is that on a shopping bag? That's like, <laughs> I'm so skeeved out by that. And I'm going to throw out that shopping bag. But that like before 8 a.m., my teenager <laughs> right. was embarrassed that I'm walking around with a shopping bag that says have sex on it that I didn't even notice. But like yeah, really Lululemon, like it's like you, you you sell yoga clothes. Like I don't, I don't want that. I, and I'm, of course, walking around in New York City, every bus shelter, every, you know, it, it's just, it, it, you know, the, the sexualization of culture is is rather present for our kids all the time. Yeah. And I mean, even shopping for my daughter, it's like every shirt is like a half shirt that says, like, I will spend your money on it. And it's like, <laughs> wait, what? I don't want my daughter wearing this. And, you know, finding the balance for her between like, wear what you're comfortable in, live in your skin. It's fine. But also like you have to go back upstairs. You're not actually covering your basic body parts with clothing. <laughs> it's complicated. It's deep. It's I think we got to get into some solutions. Amy. All right. We're going we're to take a break. When we come back, we'll, we'll talk how to get started. Bombas makes the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. I am actually happy when I open my sock drawer and I see those Bombas peeking out. Amy, they spark joy. I'm glad to hear that. And you wouldn't think that socks could spark joy, but I know that you're right because I feel the same way. I mean, who would have thought it, Amy? Who would have thunk it? They're like a little bit of happiness in my morning when I have Bombas to put on because they they just get all the little details right. The cotton is snugly in a way that I can't fully express. There's no toe seam. <laughs> And there's a part across the middle that's like knit a little differently. So it sort of hugs the arch of your foot. It makes me happy. And I don't care what people say. I love Bombas. I want you to work on expressing about the toasty, Amy. That's an assignment for <laughs> okay. you. These socks do more than keep your feet cozy, though, Amy. 
For every pair you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. We're talking 34 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of 3,000 giving partners. Give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com slash laughing. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash laughing for 20% off your first purchase. Bombas.com slash laughing. Beachbody On Demand is back as a sponsor this week. If you're like me, you discovered online fitness as a way to keep your sanity during these last couple of months. And with Beachbody On Demand, you get instant access to 1,300 different workouts you can stream anytime. I first learned about Beachbody, and you may have too, from P90X, which is an insanely effective workout, I will say. Fun and highly intense, but Beachbody also has yoga, bar, dance. There's a kids and family collection to get everybody moving. It's a huge, huge range of classes. And some of the classes get you results fast. By the time it would have taken you to drive to the gym, you did the 10-minute trainer, you're done. You can use Beachbody on your computer, tablet, phone, smart TV, anywhere you are. Listeners of the What Fresh Hell podcast can try Beachbody for free. You can get a special free Beachbody trial membership when you text laughing to 30 30, 30. You will get free full access to the entire Beachbody On Demand platform. All the workouts, all the support, all the content, totally free by texting LAUGHING to 303030. 30, 30. Check it out. Okay. Let's I want us to focus, Amy. Part of this is my fault. I'm like, oh, but theoretically, da, 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 da. Let's focus. Okay. So experts say that the easiest way to start this conversation is from a very early age, from learning to talk, your your children should be taught the correct names for body parts instead of that's your boopy and your bippy. Because- What's the, what's the law? Lo- I mean, I hear that all the time and I guess it seems to make sense, but what's the logic behind that? The logic behind that is that this is the names for things. We're not embarrassed by the real names for things. We're not mm, embarrassed yeah. by these body parts. They don't get special treatment. Their names are their names. And so that that then when you take the extra step later, like, and here's what these parts of your body do and can do, we're not ashamed. And this okay. is a big, this is a big, this is sort of a Rubicon, right? I mean, I, I have done that with my kids. And it's funny, like when, you know, older people, their grandparents and older babysitter or something has to engage with that. They're like, uh, you know, it's, it leads to some uncomfortable moments where like when they're bathing and, you know, and they're like, I washed my you know, whatever. I don't want to get bleeped by uh, Apple Podcasts for having an explicit podcast. But see, these are these are dirty words, and they name our body parts, and just and giving just those things special names. I think highlights to our kids like there's something really weird and and shameful about just Secret. this part of okay, me. Okay, that makes sense to me. Um, I mean, I do it anyway because I've always heard that, but I, I'm down with it. Yeah, it makes sense. And then I and, and then sort of my next question is, what do you do like with very young kids? Do you kind of wait for them to have a question? I think you do. Like, I don't think you you need with a preschooler or even like a first or second grader, you need to be sort of like, okay, we need to start talking about bodily autonomy. There are those who would disagree with me, but I yeah, think, I, what do you think? I think bodily autonomy can get very intellectual and it is the kind of thing of like, hey, that person is tickling you. You don't want to. If someone is doing something that you don't want, Tell them no and go find a grown up, and I will put a stop to it. Like those kind of conversations are kind of about sex consent, maybe, but th- those kind of skills you're building from the time they're very, very young. 
But when it comes to actually like discussions of body parts, I think that's, yeah, you use the right name for stuff. You're in the tub. People, you know, I have boys and girls. They learn pretty early. People have different parts. But yeah, I don't think you sit down and you're like, today, bodily autonomy. (laughs) I don't see it. And we've talked in the past about how when they ask a question, say like, where do babies come from, right? If your four-year-old asks that, it's okay to start by saying, well, what do you know? Well, what have you heard, right? And sort of suss out what they're wondering about so that you answer the question that is being asked and not a lot of questions that aren't being asked. That's a big touchstone for us. And I love it for this discussion. Answer the question you are asked. You talk a lot about like turning the question around, which I think is smart. Like, well, what do you know? And I also think it's fine to like, where do babies come from? Well, the dad puts the baby in the mom and then the mom has the baby. Mm -hmm. Like go with rudimentary steps. How does that happen? Well, the dad has a penis. Like you, you can, you just answer the next question in the step because they tend to question you about what they're ready for. And I think the only problem is sometimes people are like, okay, here it is. And then you get diagrams out and it's like, whoa, whoa. I just meant like, where do babies come from? Like the stork or not, you know? I have a much younger brother, as I've discussed sometimes, he's 19 years younger than me. And he asked me, he was, I think he was probably... 12 and I was 31. Did you take him out to the fire escape, baby? <laughs> yes. Come on, kid. Pretty much. I'm glad you asked. Let's go out to the fire escape. I mean, I was kind of like a cool aunt to him as much as a sister. And he asked me, he asked me what AIDS was. Okay. So this is a long time ago. He asked me what AIDS was. And then he also asked me what a condom was. And I was he must have been younger than 12. I was definitely like a grown up out of college, but not not a parent yet. And I way over answered this kid. Right. And right. That it's the over answer yeah. that we want to be aware of. And the words were like, like it was coming out of my mouth. And I was like, okay, now I have to explain this whole other like, thing. I'm at the Stonewall Inn. Like, what am I doing here? I don't know. I way, way, you know, took it way bigger. And and those are these are big questions. And and that's my when I get nervous, I keep talking. And probably this is one where you need to be very very cautious because I definitely blew this kid's mind. And then as he's then, as you were saying before, he's like on stage with the lights in his eyes and he is not hearing anything I'm saying anyway. So it was, it was okay for me to say a little bit less. Yeah. I think that's a really good takeaway. It's like, answer the question you're asked and don't get nervous and be like, okay, I've been waiting for this. Here we go. And just Sometimes it's just a question of like, where do babies come from? Dad puts the baby in mom and then mom has the baby. Okay. Any follow-ups? No. All right. We're done for now. You know, we'll revisit this for sure. When my kids were little, I remember, I remember like my, my boys were like four and two. And I remember the four-year-old asking me, you know, like in front of the two-year-old, how does the baby get out of your stomach? I guess I was pregnant with their sister. And I just said, well, the doctor helps. The doctor helps the mom. And again, I got like six months out of that, you know, and then and then when they asked again, then I was more ready. Then I said, well, there's this book we can look at together and I'll show you. And I think it's okay to punt rather than over answer. Unless you're punting all the time. Unless it's okay you're to punting punt all the time. Momentarily. That's right. I try when that question comes out to go right to like the meat of the that question. So like, Where does the baby come out? I would say the mom has a hole between her legs and that's where the baby comes out. Does it hurt? Yeah, it kind of does. Okay, (laughs) that's usually the end of it. Like that's the beginning of it, you know? And, And I try to go to the meat of it rather than like, oh, well, you know, 
here's the sort of secondary answer and go and like really answer the question, but not get into like, and they're used because there's, you know, what's a condom? Okay. A condom is something that goes over the penis to hold the sperm in. That's what a condom is. Right. But not like, and they're used because there's diseases and there's it. Like, don't go way down the pathway. Like, just answer the question asked. Right. And even if your answer confuses them and they're sort of nodding with a furrowed brow, like, that's okay. Right. Because this isn't, you're not doing this once. That's that's sort of the biggest thing I learned working on this. Right. I'm not doing this once. Dr. John Sherry, who's a parenting expert in Dublin, Ireland, he says that if, you know, sometimes it comes up that your kid asks where babies come from, like in in the middle of a family dinner with Aunt Bertha or I don't know, like at church, inappropriate moments can occur. And it's okay, of course, to sort of punt in those moments. But he says, find a moment to get back to them raise the subject, they've given you an opening and you say, remember you asked me the other day about how babies were made? That That's an important thing to talk about. Can we talk about that now? Like just, as you said, don't, don't punt and then pretend you forgot that they asked. <laughs> yeah. I tend in that situation when I punt to not come back to it, I have <laughs> to admit. And that happens with like all sorts of different topics, you know, like I had a kid in the car the other day ask about 9-11 while we were, I had little kids in the car and I was like, we have to talk about that later. Like, I'm not getting into that in the car right now with little kids. And then I was like, uh, it didn't come up again. And I was like, uh, we'll, 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 I'll wait till that gets raised that later on. That is the perfect parallel. And if you don't live on the East Coast or in or around New York City, like the two of us do, people might not get it as much, but you have to explain that to your kids very carefully and in stages. And I've done that with my kids who are all born, obviously, after it happened. It's completely hypothetical to them, but more real than it is to a kid who doesn't live in New York City, like that this thing happened. That's that's not what this episode is about. But yeah, I've had exactly the same experience, that that's an ongoing conversation and you explain it to a 12-year-old and a five-year-old very, very differently. Right. And you kind of explain it in pieces and parts and you explain it at an appropriate time. So if the subject comes up and there's, you know, kids of different ages around or for any reason, kids you're not, don't think are ready for the information, like you explain it correctly for the age in the right time. That's the parallel. Uh, I kind of realized working on this episode too, that I do have like, I got to go back, that older teens I was reading about what, when, and the Center for Women's Health said, you know, you can leave, you can wait until your your teen is 14 to 16 years old to start talking about sexually transmitted disease, contraception, abortion. You you can wait on those topics. And I have, but that was also a reminder. (laughs) But how long exactly can you wait? You don't want to wait until it becomes... A practical conversation. It was, right, exactly. You need that to be a hypothetical discussion. So advocatesforyouth.org, which is a an association that promotes and talks about good sexual education for kids, they did a study that showed that talking to teenagers about condoms before they ever have to use one significantly improves the chances that they will use one. Yeah. So the time I think that makes sense. Yeah. The time to talk about it is before they need to make that decision, not during and not after. And I need well, to Well, and then the that. trick is that people are like, but wait a minute, I don't want my 14, 15, 16 year old to use a condom. Like right. I don't want to introduce that information and make it seem like it's something that I condone. I and know. that's where I go back to like, 
you have to discuss this. You have to wrap your values up in these conversations. You know, I mean, they've done a billion studies that abstinence only education does not really work. You know, like the idea of like, if you don't have any information, you won't do this. It's it's a fallacy that we all kind of cling to because we don't want to have the conversation. Right. So you're right. But yeah. If, if you have to talk about all pieces and parts of this, you can't just like let yourself off the hook and try to skate. I think you think you're right. Like if if abstinence until marriage is your family's value, then that's your value. But then talk about that. Don't just talk about talk about the difficulties around that. Talk about the what that really means, right? That, that, that doesn't get you off the hook. It doesn't mean you skate. The other funny right. part is that the older teenagers, it's like you can wait until they're, you know, in high school to talk about sexually transmitted diseases. I've I've been in a committed relationship for the last 24 years. Like I have to go, I'm going to have to like find a seminar. I don't know. Is there a webinar? I'm <laughs> like, there's an app for that, Amy, I'm sure. <laughs> there is an app for that. I but you no don't want idea. your husband to catch you Googling what sexually transmitted right. diseases like, are there. Oh, I am so not up on what the, what the kids are doing today. With I don't that. think they changed that much. I mean, I think there's probably pretty much the standard. I, I don't think there's been a whole lot of new stuff. Since I, we got I hope not, but I mean, I You've wouldn't know. 14 years longer than May, 13 years longer than May. So, but I don't know. I don't think that that that's changing all that fast. I hope not. And the, the general idea is still the same. <laughs> so I have something that I want to introduce into this conversation okay. as the thing, the thing, the key to it all, I think. And I'm going to talk to you about it after this break. And now, the six types of moms explaining the birds and the bees from the What Fresh Hell podcast. The playing it cool mom. Uh, listen, guys, this is no big deal. It's something everyone does. I'm sure you've heard lots of things at school, but we're just going to talk it out, okay? No pressure, no weirdness, just a chat ski with the old momstress. Nice and easy. The I'm not going to make this awkward, awkward mom. I know this seems really Awkward? Oh my god, when my mom talked to me about this stuff, it was so incredibly awkward. I, I'm not going to make this awkward. Should we sit? Because standing feels awkward. Okay, I think we may be sitting too close. That also feels awkward, and I do not want this to be awkward. The let's lighten this up, mom. The old bird and the bees. You know when a bee mates, don't you? When she finds her honey, get it? <laughs> well, it's time to talk about the birds and the bees. Buzz, buzz, and flap, flap. Am I right? I mean, could this be any weirder talking to your mom about this stuff? Cringe. Am I right? The professorial mom. Gather around, children. I have a PowerPoint presentation that I will begin once everyone is seated. And the giggling has completely ceased. When you are ready, we will begin with the urethral orifice before moving on to the glans majoris. The having trouble getting started, Mom. So, I wanted to talk to you about something. What's the word? It's, it's, uh, it's sensitive, but it's not bad sensitive. In fact, it, it can be a wonderful thing. I mean, really, one of the most wonderful experiences there is. But, but this experience should not be undertaken lightly. I mean, it's special in a very specific way that I want to talk to you about because it's it's so important and private. It is also private, but but not in a bad way. Okay, wait, where was I? The let's just get this over with mom. Okay, so mom and dad, they love each other very much. The penis goes in the vagina, sperm, egg, bada boom, bada bing. Nine months later, hey, look, a baby. And we're out of this. If you have any questions, your father will be home in an hour. 
This has been Six Types of Moms Explaining the Birds and the Bees from the What Fresh Hell podcast. Amy, are you ready for my insight? It's the key to everything? The key to everything. Okay, go ahead. It's the family dinner. Oh. And if you can't do family dinner because your kids are in sports or whatever else, it's the conversational family time. If that means you don't have screens in the car because that's your opportunity for conversational family time, conversational family time is when a lot of these conversations and values come up. I'm not saying every single night over the roast beef, you're like, this is how you put a condom on. Like, that's not what's going on. (laughs) But it facilitates an ongoing conversation about what's happening. And in those conversations, these things naturally come up and you can address them and talk about them. At our family conversation, it's like things going on at school or things they might have read or things they might have heard people say or someone called someone of this. What does that mean? Well, that's a rude term for someone who is this what, like whatever it is, you're getting into values conversations around this stuff by having constant conversations with your kids as a family. That sounds hard to me with teenagers. And I guess it does sort of re-highlight for me, like start it young, start it. We're not ashamed to talk about what's a lesbian at the dinner table, right? When they're, when they're 10, not that I'd be embarrassed to talk about that, but I'm trying to think about the, the questions my, my teenagers would have for me now, which don't feel like dinner conversation, but maybe they should No, be. and I want to be clear that like, they're not at the dinner table being like, what age is it appropriate for me to start having sex? Like that, that's not what's happening. But around my family dinner table, we talked a lot about like things happening in the news, Bill Clinton, you know, like, is it inappropriate to have a relationship with someone at work? You know, like we were talking about, especially with Bill Clinton, pretty specific stuff around the dinner table, you know, like what constitutes sex? What does it mean? Those kind of conversations. I mean, I was in college when that whole thing went down, but I just mean in general, we talked about like someone from school is pregnant. You know, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. What are the challenges of that? Like the family conversation is not going to be where you have the specific talk about the birds and the bees, but it does start to come up. Like I'm trying to think of a very specific example, but we recently had a conversation at our dinner table and it was some joke that boys were making at school. And I was like, what do you think they're talking about there? And my kids were like, is it sex? And I was like, yeah, I think that's what they're talking about. That's what they're joking about, you know? And that's the answerable parent to me. It's like, you're you're all sitting around the table and you're having discussions about the world and that world includes sex. Yeah, that makes sense. But you're not in those conversations going to be like the penis goes into the vagina. That's not what you're talking about over the roast beef. Like those conversations are separate conversations. But I think a lot of the values conversations, that person doesn't seem to treat their girlfriend very nicely. I don't like the way he treats her. Those kind of conversations are happening. I mean, we talk about friends like, oh, that friend doesn't seem like he was being a really good friend to that other person, you know? Why do the boys like chase the girls around? How does that make the girls feel? Is it a game? Do they like it? Like those kind of conversations are part of all of this stuff and they need to be happening at the dinner table. So can we talk a little bit about the difference between having this conversation with boys and with girls and with mothers and with fathers? Because I thought this was Advocates for Youth did a study that found that mothers are more likely to 
do this work than fathers. At least that's what their kids report, which kind of didn't surprise me. Right. But the most common conversation is mother-daughter. The second most common is mother-son. The the third most common combination to have such com- these sort of conversations is father son and in a you know distant fourth father daughter that that's the least likely combination for these things to occur and that makes sense to me because of course when you're talking to daughters you're talking about menstruation and all kinds of I was going to say right? daughters have a very practical thing that comes up yes. here with the period. Yes. So like that is part of sex ed and it's part of sexuality and it happens earlier and earlier and you got to talk about it. Yes. It's, it's a very, very different set of conversations you have to have with, with your girl and talking about bodily autonomy and also like, please God, don't get pregnant. And you know, there's, there's different, there's different things and, and trying to be or not, please God. Here's how to not do, <laughs> right. get pregnant. God, Don't do please this. God, maybe shouldn't play too big a role in this. Not too big a role. Um, no. and, and you know, and menstruation was just not something that was discussed with uh, among anybody growing up. I mean, even even when I was the fifth grader on the on the fire escape, that was something that was like that was taboo. Would like I only knew a little bit about that. Like even Judy Bloom didn't really talk about it too much, and it was still still, still pretty. Are mysterious. you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Right. And I had to learn, you know, I had to learn how to to use a tampon when I was 18 years old from another 18 year old, like through a bathroom door. And so I'm trying that this is, we're, we're not there yet, but I have a daughter. And so I'm trying in the same way to be the askable parent around this, like, oh yeah, this is something you're gonna have to put up with. And like, it's not awesome, but it's really not that big a deal. And, and, you know, this is what you do and I'll show you how to do it when the time comes and we're just not going to worry about it and trying to be because I don't really buy into the whole like, and you are a woman now, and this is the most wonderful thing that we're right. ever have. I mean, it's not true. So why would I, why would I well, like, sell it that it's way? it's also, there's no way to play it. Like, that's really hard to tingles. Being too frank about it is really gross. Like, there's no way to yeah. do it right. Just like, it's going to be awkward. Just like, let it yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's okay to come at it with like, oh, this is like something like, you, you got to deal with. And But the funny thing is like, I, I mean, it. It isn't something that comes up often in my marriage. I don't spend a lot of time talking to my to my husband about menstrual health, right? So of course he's not going to talk to his no. daughter about it. But I think this is on us a little bit. Certain things take one for the team. I mean, don't don't make your husband talk about <laughs> menstruation. He doesn't want to do that. This is another area where I think my kids have health class where this is discussed. I think it's sixth grade. And I know people have different opinions about this, but I'm all for health class. I like the idea that someone else brings up a lot of the nitty gritty of this stuff. And then I'm there to like, just be the catcher who answers questions. Yes. Oh, phew. Thank, like, thank you. Like, that's yes. a great model for me. Like, I know people and they opt out and they don't want strangers discussing this with their kids. I'm all for that. I'm like, learn about it in school. Like you learn about every other factual thing in school. That's what this is, just a factual thing. And then come home and I'll I'll field any questions you've got. I, I like that model a lot. I'm all for it. There, and there are some good resources out there that can help. Like, I, yes, for me, that does feel more comfortable. Like Lola, which actually sponsored one of our episodes, they are not sponsoring this episode. So I'm bringing this up just because I liked it. They have something called Lola's Personal, Honest, Real Life Guide to Your First Period. And I'll put the link up on our show page. It is so good. And I look forward to using it when the time comes, not as a substitute for my talking to my kid, but as a jumping off point to talking to my kid about this is what it's like. This is exactly what to expect. Like, I wish I had this thing when I was, 
you know, a seventh, eighth grader. And there are there are a lot of other good resources too. And like I said, they're not a, they're not a substitute for honest conversation, but they're a really useful jumping off point. Let's look at this together. You know, why don't you look at this this chapter and then let's talk about what questions you might have, and come at it with what questions do you have instead of do you have any questions? <laughs> right. And w- this was so awkward for us dealing with our parents, and it will be awkward for us dealing with our kids. Like, I feel like people feel like we're these new, cool, hey, into it parents, and it's not going to be awkward. It's going to be super awkward. Right. It's awkward. Right. You're not going to skip the part where it's awkward. And, right. And I, and I, and yeah, I'm pretending it's not is useless. And I think saying it's awkward is okay. Clearly they're mortified and the older they get, the more mortified they get. A five-year-old can ask a really innocent question because they don't know it's not innocent. And so it gets, it gets a little harder as they get older, not easier because it's so hypothetical when they're, when they're kids. Right. So I guess, yeah, if I can offer anything from the mom with older kids vantage point, it's like start young because believe it or not, it gets more awkward to have these conversations if, if also more important. And take the opportunities. Like we, some joke, someone was making a joke on some cartoon my kids were watching and they were like, that's puberty. And they're like, what's puberty? And I'm like, oh, okay, good. You're going to grow hair here, here, and here. (laughs) And your voice is going to change. And it's because, you know, like I try to lean in a little bit when the questions do come up. Again, not over answering, but introduce early and often this information. That's the key to me. You don't want to just suddenly have this, like, you never discuss it. And then at, we talk a lot about, like, if you're not letting your, like, four-year-old have a little bit of freedom, you're not going to let your college get have freedom. Like, you're going to be that mom sitting next to him in the lecture hall. You know, like, you got to practice this stuff early, seed it in, put the seeds in. So, like, when my six-year-old doesn't get the puberty joke, I'm like, well, puberty is when your body changes from a child to an adult. And one of the ways that happens is you grow hair. And one of the ways is that you get a period. What's a period? Well, I'll explain, you know, like just just the facts. But when I find an opportunity to discuss, I lean in. All right. I think you're right. And that's how it's what we have to do. You got to be you got to be the askable parent. What are our takeaways? Askable parent is great. And you're doing that by leaning in when the opportunity comes up to discuss about stuff. Understand that this is an ongoing conversation that we're going to be having 100 times, not once. If we're lucky, if we're doing it the way we're supposed to be doing it. Don't be afraid to insert values into this conversation. It doesn't have to be simply technical. You can say like, our values are that you act this way in sexual relationships. And that's what our values are. Like, again, my mom always said, you you, you put the parameters tighter, understanding that kids may go want to go out of them a little bit. Like, it's okay to have values around this and it's okay to present those values. And that makes it a bigger tent, which makes it also easier to have the conversation, right? If you're including in this that consent and values and and loving relationships and sexual orientation and all this stuff is is under the big tent of important things that we have to talk about sometimes, it's it's a little bit easier to conceive of, at least for me, than, okay, this is where we go talk about the biology that will blow your mind. One of my one of my kids, when I explain the facts of life, I won't say which one, this child looked at me and said, no, that's that's a mistake. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. No, no, no. You just said them like, nope, I know. I know what I said. I had a friend who explained this to their kid. And then she saw the, he saw the neighbors, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And he's like, I can picture Mr. Smith doing that, but not Mrs. Smith. Oh my gosh. 
<laughs> I mean, kids are funny, but it's it's like have the conversations and let the questions flow. Answer only the question that you are asked. Try not to do the Amy where you're like, okay, you asked A and suddenly we're at Z right. and your head is exploding. Right. But it's got to be ongoing and it's going to, uh, listen, your other option is Amy Wilson on the fire escape. Whenever you try to shy away from this, picture little Amy Wilson, like (laughs) chewing her gum on the fire escape and explaining the facts of life to your kid. And you're going to be like scared straight. So wrong. Scared straight. It feels, it feels counterintuitive, but talking to them about this stuff keeps them safer, keeps them protected and helps them have better practices around this stuff when they do start. So, because the fact of the matter is they're hearing about it from someone. Your only choice is who that person is. Is it their friend on the playground or is it you? Is it your Lululemon shopping bag or is it you? (laughs) (laughs) I hope we've learned a lesson about shopping at Lululemon. All right, guys, that is the birds and the bees from the What Fresh Hell podcast. We want you to come join the conversation on our Facebook page at What Fresh Hell Cast. We're also on Instagram at What Fresh Hell Cast and on Twitter at WFH Podcast. Oh, and the show page, as always, I'll put all the links. There's some really interesting links and studies and useful resources that I'll put up on whatfreshhellpodcast.com. Guys, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. 